Hi guys, I'm Coach Desi and this is Post Stop to Won't Stop. I'm a physician assistant who fell in love with bariatrics while working with a surgeon here in Florida. Finding ways to help my patients in their journey has always been my priority. I'm now a personal trainer who works with clients to help them reach their goals and stay on track after their surgery. Post Stop to Won't Stop was developed to allow patients a platform to share their stories and to help educate people on the process of weight loss through surgery. Let's listen to real people share their wins and losses and learn what really happens in the journey after surgery. Hi guys, it's Coach Jesse, and today I have an incredible story of a woman named Rebecca. She is here with us today. There's a lot of layers to her story, a lot of great um, experience that she's gonna share with us today. So without further ado, I welcome Rebecca. Hi, how are we doing today? Thank you, nice to be here. Yes, so Rebecca's been through a lot in her life. And so I wanna just start with, um, I know that you had surgery recently in October. And what surgery did you have? I did the gastric sleeve. Okay. And so far, so good. Yes. So far, so good. Um, knock on wood. I have always been someone who has done well with any type of surgery. Um, so I've had many people reach out afterwards and just ask me about pain and stuff like that. And although I never personally had children, I think it might be the same thing where they just make you forget. I don't know if you're on really good drugs or whatnot, but um, I really don't remember a lot of pain um, as it pertains to the, the physical aspect of the surgery. So um, I know I remember my mom yelling at me because she saw me squatting down on the floor like three days after surgery. So I would say, yeah, I handled it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, what, what actually led to that decision? What, what led you to having bariatric surgery or thinking about it? Um, well, that's a, a story that would definitely take longer than 30 minutes as we've discussed, but, um, <laughs> at my, at my heart, I am truly a project manager and a person who makes Excel spreadsheets for everything in her life to make a decision. Um, I have struggled with my weight for as long as I can remember. Um, although I was born and raised in Western Pennsylvania, my mother's Cuban family was down in Miami and every summer we go down there. And I know that as a child, we were constantly referred to as las gorditas, you know, coming, coming into Miami. So, I mean, I have struggled with my weight my entire life, but ironically, although I was always on diets and I was always an athlete, I still continued to gain the weight and gain the weight. Um, twice in my life, I basically reached about 300 pounds. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, kind of when you hit the 290, you stop stepping on the scale long enough for it to clock. And I even at one point back in, would have been probably about 2010 or so, um, went to an allergy doctor um, and realized that I actually had a, a significant amount of food intolerances went on a very strict and regimented diet um, during that time, did not work out the whole time. In six months, I lost 80 pounds, probably got down to about 220 at my lowest. And at the time, um, I started actually getting into doing triathlons, uh, sprint distance, Olympic distance, and eventually all the way up to a full Ironman. Um, and for those people who don't know what a full Ironman is, you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112 and you run 26.2 miles all in the same day, all one right after the other. So I was doing an extensive amount of training and yet I still could not break 
220. I still had extra weight in my body. It wasn't just even a number. It wasn't like I was full of muscle and I was a machine. I still had a heavy, you know, midsection. Um, so, and then, you know, life happened and I gained all the weight back again. So it was just, I had looked online and I know with the power of Google, we all kind of self-diagnose. I had looked at uh, bypass surgery, which granted my grandmother even had back in the eighties. Um, so I knew heretic, you know, just based on my genetics, they were <laughs> fighting against me to begin with. Um, so I just did, I did in a lot, a lot of research um, and really decided that I needed a little extra, right? Like I knew in my mind, I was now at the time of surgery, uh, was 44 years old. I knew, yes, if I stuck to it and I dieted and I worked out, I could probably lose the weight again. Yeah. And I would probably get down to 220 again, but then I would probably regain the weight and then I would be pushing 50 and trying to lose that weight. You know, so for me, I was just trying to look ahead, looking at my mother, looking at my grandmother, looking at the life that I led. And I said, I just need that little extra. And I felt for me, and everybody has a different decision to make. For me, I felt that the gastric sleeve was just that little extra help that I was going to need so that all of my habits, good habits together would make me feel successful. Yeah. Now I'm sure that had to have been mentally tough having been through, I mean, dude, an Ironman is no joke. I ran a marathon yeah. once and swore that was the stupidest thing I ever did and swore I would never do it again. I can't imagine adding the biking and the swimming yeah. onto that. So going through all of that, and like you said, only getting to 220, um, did you feel healthy at that stage? I mean, what was the, the, what was the um, thought process to try to get your weight down even less than that? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of us on the outside looking in would be like, dude, you could do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, during Ironman, my mother noticed there were still people bigger than me, even doing the Ironman and maybe ahead of me in the race. And she's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so to anybody out there um, who thinks they don't look at, uh, especially when it comes to endurance, um, you cannot tell. People have it in their mind what an athlete looks like. It is not what you think. There are Preach, tons sister. of people. Yes. yes, there are tons and tons. Of, I mean, I, I, I do these races. It gives me a goal. It helps me. I have always been horrible about showing up to a gym, right? If it's just a membership and just going, if I'm not being held accountable by a group of people or a trainer or whatnot, it's just not my MO. So for me to have these races kind of helps keep me to a training plan and gives me a purpose and a schedule. And no matter how hard I try, I still suck at running. I'm horrible at running. So really I swim, bike, and then do whatever they call like a faux walk, jog, something or other. It's more of a sloth action. Um, and I try and I try, and I can't tell you how many times I will be passed up by somebody older and heavier than me running. And I will go, are you serious? Like, so just how you look on the outside does not at all define the athlete on the inside. I mean, I always even joke, like when I was pushing 300 pounds, I'm like, dude, there's an athlete under here. You don't understand. I mean, if you take any person who is obese and just poof, took 150 pounds off of them you know they have to have muscle underneath there because they're moving a couple extra 150. Like you have to have good structure under there somewhere to be yeah. carrying that extra stuff around. So. Absolutely. Um, so, I love, so, yeah. 
I love that you're saying that because I tell my clients all the time. I'm like, all right, you've been training with me for eight weeks. It's official. You're an athlete. And they look at me sideways and I'm like, it's a true story. What is an athlete? It's someone who trains consistently for a goal. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, and that's you. So I, I love, I, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell everybody to listen to this one for sure. Because <laughs> it's so important. Um, you know, I ran into Serena Williams at a restaurant here in Tampa and I saw her and was like, oh my gosh, that is solid woman right there. And if you look at athletes, I mean, we just got over the Olympics. Look at these athletes. They are not like what you see at the, at the, I'll say standard gym with like plastered with these people with six packs and looking pencil thin. That is not an athlete. Mm -mm. Any athlete in the Olympics, very rarely are you going to find that body type out there. Yeah. So um, great. I, that wasn't even something that was on our list to talk about today. But I'm so appreciative that you. <laughs> no, um, it's true. I, and, you know, and I, and I always tell people, I, you know, for people who have, I've been an athlete my whole life. I have played most every sport out there. And for folks who they've just never had that in them. Um, you know, like one of the things, um, post-surgery that I have to say that, you know, based on things I watched on the internet, the directions that my personal doctor gave me was about like when to start working out. And I have to say, I think that there needs to be a clear delineation when they use that word workout. I think that if you're talking about someone who has been sedentary their whole life or the last decade of their lives, and now they've gained a ton of weight and whatever, Working out for them is walking a mile, but walking a mile is not a workout. It's not a CrossFit. You don't need Gatorade. You walked a mile. So don't leave the Gatorade at home. It's not what's not meant for you right now. Like, so I think people just need to understand there's a slow process and then go find what you like. You know, your sport could be pickleball. It could be badminton. It could be, I tell you what, I use my glutes more speed walking than attempting to run. Cause when I run, I use my quads and my calves and I ain't growing myself a booty, right? Like for those people who have been sedentary and just don't think of themselves as an athlete, they have to stop assuming the goal is to be the football player on TV. There's a whole range of what defines an athlete in between that. And it's just about getting up and moving. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's dead on. When I work with my clients, the first thing I tell them is, listen, I'm not the person that you're used to seeing at the gym. I'm not going to, you know, be screaming at you. This is not going to be a hit workout. You're not going to be dying and sweating. It's not even going to be what you saw in Biggest Loser. Like that's not mm -hmm. MO. Like it's, it's gentle. We got to get used to movement patterns. We got to get, I mean, it's almost, you know, very, you know, it's movement. It's just learning. Yeah, it's movement. And, and, that's, movement. and that's still, yeah, that's still important. And to your point, you not only need to move, if you are going to move into resistance training, you better be doing it right or else you're going to hurt yourself and then you're going to injure yourself and then you're going to give yourself the super easy reason for not working. I hurt myself. So <laughs> it's just a really bad cyclical, you know, so it's just, it's bad. So yes. Oh my gosh. That's exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly where I come from when I, when I specialize in bariatrics, it's, it's teaching movement quality movement so that you can build on it. So you can go in whatever direction, like you said, that you want to go into. Now um, let's chat more about, um, gosh, there's so much stuff to talk about. So you, you had mentioned, listen, by sixth grade, you were five, nine, five, 10. Mm -hmm. and, and so talk to me a little bit about the experience um, from a childhood perspective of Oof. being, 
being a, a, an advanced grower, I'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can still remember, you know, this kid Jonah one day being like, Hey, you know, laser, where's your wide load sign to walk down the hallway and whatever. And I remember being teased relentlessly. And I sit here and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I think about it, I was five, nine and I weighed 145 and I was being teased for being fat. I would love to be like, actually, I think 145 would be too skinny for me right now. But, um, you know, like when I think back, I'm just like, man, kids were, I mean, granted, I wouldn't want to trade my life with kids today with, you know, the world of social media and the internet. I think it's only getting worse. Um, but, you know, I remember, like I said, I was teased by my own family, you know, mm -hmm. like it was, we call it building tough skin in my family. <laughs> Some of us, it hurts our feelings. People are like, do you ever wonder why you have low self-esteem? Have they met your mother? And I was like, yeah, I tell people that all the time. Like, you know, being raised in a Cuban family, it is the uh, tough skin mentality. Um, but it's also a family that lives on, you know, I come from a culture that traditionally was families who did physical labor, manual labor, and then came home and had some delicious food. Yeah. They burned the calories, you know. Yeah. Um, my mom had four of us and she did not get, start really gaining weight until she was in her forties. And I started off, you know, struggling with it and, you know, kind of jokingly they're like, well, what's your excuse? You know, what, what happened to you? And I said, yeah, but my mom went from graduating college to getting married to having us kids and moving nonstop. Yeah. Like during the day, she's, you know, now we go in a world where most of us sit at a desk all day. So, you know, I say to people, I'm like, listen, I'm like getting up and going out for like a two or three mile walk. You just undid sitting for eight hours. You really didn't burn into now negative calories, weight. Like, so you've got to do extra because so many of us just sit. Yeah. And you know, what's the saying? Sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know? I've heard that, but it's oh, yeah. sitting, far there. Sitting is, the new, sitting is the new smoking. Sitting has uh, moved my pelvic floor and has officially given me, uh, what do they call it? Glute amnesia. So we'll see if I ever build a booty again. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was teased um, my whole life. I mean, and then, you know, just as anything, we, all com we always compare ourselves. And I have always tried to be an athlete and there were always women smaller than me. And um, even though I was stronger, it's all about, you know, we're, it is beat into our head. It's about how you look. We're sold an image. Yeah. So it's, um, it wasn't, it wasn't about how strong you were on the inside and, and whatnot. So yeah, no, I was dieting, I think since I was like 15, wow. you know, so, um, it's always been a struggle up, down. I mean, I've done the keto diet, the I mean, I, the doctor that invented the South Beach diet, his office was next door to my cardiologist. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always been a struggle. So Got you. Got you. I just needed a little extra help. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, the cool thing about, I mean, I think you and I are from the same era. So I, I definitely understand, you know, the stuff we were tossed our way as we grew up and the mentality from a parental perspective. Um, now I think it's pretty cool though, that I feel like it, we're opening up a new door that it's okay to be strong as a woman that, you know, 
have a little bit more um, broader strokes now when it comes to defining who we are. I think we're our, the empowerment is is a lot better. You know, we still have we still have ways to go, but I think um, these these younger the younger generation I see coming up, they're just um, a lot more. Um, they seem to be more confident. They seem to be um, more forthcoming and, and vocal. And I love that we're moving into that space. So hopefully, you know, the licks that we took in our generation will help better the generations behind us for sure. Um, now let's get into a little bit about, you talked a little bit about food intolerances and that part, you've had some other um, um, challenges health-wise. Did you wanna yes. share? Yeah, when I was, um, so like I said, I always, always struggled with my weight. Um, and then when I was in college, um, it apparently I got mono. And after mono, I'm going to assume that I never really recovered. And it was an opportunity in which my immune system was basically in, in the garbage. And at that time, I then seem to increase allergies, whether they were both related to seasonal allergies and or food intolerances or whatnot. And I started to cough and I coughed and I coughed and I coughed. And, you know, it was being passed around from one doctor to another that sent me to what would be considered a, a traditional allergy doctor. They did the scratch test. They did this and that and whatever. They put me on Allegra and Allertech and Advair and you name it. Um, and they told me that I had allergies. Well, after a year of sucking on cough drops for, I would go through about a bag of cough drops a day. Mm. Um, after a while, you get tired of eating those. Um, I would do sugar-free, regular ones with mentholiptus, I mean, you, you know, menthol or whatever it is, like you name it. Um, I couldn't drink water to help soothe the cough. If anything, cold water would aspirate it even more and make me cough even more. It was a, it was a bronchial spasm that continued to happen. And so, like I said, it happened for about a year. And then finally uh, the infirmary said, uh, maybe we'll send you for like a CAT scan at the main hospital. So they sent it and lo and behold, the results came back and they go, oh yeah, so we're wrong. You don't just have allergies. You now have uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, which is cancer. They didn't know whether I had non-Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's um, until they would do a biopsy and whatnot. So that is where at the point, my parents, they come to town and they said, hey, you know, the university was too far away from where they lived. My uh, grandfather had in the past decade gone through heart issues and they said, we're gonna go take her to a cardiologist. Not because we thought there was anything wrong with my heart, but because he was so high on the food chain of doctors in Miami my parents just wanted him to be the referral to an oncologist. So I went to his office. Of course, he's a cardio guy. He hooked me up to an EKG and he says, forget about your cancer. He goes, gonna have a heart attack. What? So mind you, at the time, I was probably about 2.30. The University of the Infirmary was telling me that the reason that I was wheezing and all this stuff and always tired was because I was overweight. Um, turns out, no, I had cancer. And to work on being overweight, I decided that day to play three hours of tennis and go rollerblading up and down the garages at the university. <laughs> so the fact that within a week of that workout, I was then being put into a hospital, I had apparently 500 cc's of fluid around my heart. 
So imagine taking a balloon and sticking it in a bucket of water and trying to blow it up. You can't. So my heart rate was just like, like a jackrabbit. So good thing I didn't give myself a heart attack. So again, right here I was overweight, being told my medical issues were because I was overweight. And it turns out, no, I just beat the crap out of my immune system. And lo and behold, it gave myself cancer. So whether that cancer came with the stress of not being an, a really great student at the university, um, dealing with the fact that I was being raised in a Roman Catholic Republican Cuban family, and I knew that I was gay, stress does kill. Like it was just in a, you know, uh, one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. So I went in for emergency surgery. They did the biopsies. It was determined I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is the worser of the two. Um, I was the, and they staged cancers between one and four. I was at the end of stage two going into stage three. Um, I immediately went into doing chemotherapy for, I did eight treatments in six months. And guess what? That entire time, my parents put me on a macrobiotic diet, which does not mean that it was fat-free and or calorie-free more specifically. And you really can't move around when you have cancer. You kind of sit a lot, watch a lot of TV. I think I watched ESPN over and over again. <laughs> I never threw up. I never lost weight during chemo. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, I also got angry because I lost all my hair, but I didn't lose my uh, you know, mustache that as a Latin woman, you have to get waxed every three weeks. I was like, are you kidding me? So I just had everything working against me. So, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I went through having cancer at the age of 20. Uh, you know, I'm 45 now, so 25 years, knock on wood, still cancer free. Um, and then I think that that was the beginning of when the allergies really became a problem in my life. I think that, you know, they always tell you everybody has cancer in their body. Your body just keeps it in check. Um, I think that between the mono and the stress and everything that was going on, my immune system and the fact that I was overweight. I'm sure played into the fact that I was unhealthy. Um, it wasn't why I was tired necessarily. So, um, you know, I think it all played in together and this is part of, you know, what was behind it and what happened, so. Oh my gosh, this is, wow. Like you are my, this is, so as a, okay, as a practitioner, I, I dance a little bit more on, um, marrying two sides, right? So there's the holistic approach and there's medicine. And I think um, I, as a Libra, as a good Libra, we like to balance things. We need balance in our life. Um, I try to balance both sides. And I think um, your experience is exactly what I would say is, you know, holistically, you know, yes, stress kills. Stress is, mm -hmm. impacts us way more than we imagine. Gut health is important, which is as your experience, mm -hmm. food intolerances, all of that plays into the immune system. The immune system is what we need to take care of. And the way that we take care of that is through nutrition, through sleep, through stress um, decompression um, and, and things like that. And once we have our immune system in a good place, then the rest of our body knows what to do. And 100%. So I think, um, gosh, if, if y'all listening right now can just tune in on this, because when we say there's lifestyle changes, this is why, because you've got to take care of your immune system. And, and I have always said that I think um, weight, um, obesity is, is really a symptom. It's not the problem. And unfortunately, 
went to people where they thought that was the problem, right? They said, oh no, you're tired and you're short of breath because you're, you're overweight. Yes, that can be it, but that's it. that in and of itself is a symptom. Weight is a symptom. And so again, getting back to taking care of your diet, finding out what's into, you know, what intolerances you have, because most of us have them. We're eating yep. stuff that's processed, that's not natural, that our body, like I ask people all the time, like, well, would you feed that to your dog? And they're like, no, I'm like, we're, we're, you know, we're actually animals. Like if you're not going to give it to your dog, why would you eat it? Um, and I'm talking about chocolate because we know we can't give that to dogs, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yes, I love that you're sharing this experience because this is what I, this is my, this is my foundational belief is that um, you take care of your immune system through these things. And then it goes from there. I went to a couple different of these, um, especially, so I did eventually find a, a uh, more of a homeopathic um, allergy doctor and the way that they test and the medicine that they provide you is totally different. Um, I want to say they call it prov provocational neutralization or whatever, right? Where it's the idea that they help give you the natural antigens in your body so that when you either eat and or drink whatever it is you may be intolerant to, now you do not react versus the regular allergy medicine is just subsiding um, the side effects, right? Like whatever you're having, they'll just make you cough less or whatever, but it doesn't stop why you're coughing. Right. And one of the interesting things that the doctor said to me from a food intolerance perspective, he said, think of it this way. He goes, if you looked at your plate and you had to grow it or whatever from the ground up, what would be on that plate? He goes, because I am telling you right now, leafy greens grow real fast and real easy. So you'd have a lot of those on your plate. He goes, you'd eat way more fish and chicken than a cow, right? Because it takes a long time to make a cow. And when you do make a cow, because back in the day they didn't have refrigeration and this and that, it was a big, huge like celebration and everybody had it. So you basically had one or two servings and then you didn't have it again for another two months, right? So the percentage of red meat versus white meats and fishes and vegetables and legumes, you know, bread, wheat, the, the you know, the devil in the, the details, right? When it comes to wheat, now, trust me, I love myself a good slice of bread every once in a while, but the idea of making bread from the ground up is exhausting, you know? So he's, and, and this was, you know, this was his advice. And he said, I'm telling you, when I look at people's food intolerances, nobody gets allergic to spinach, you know, <laughs> like, he goes, and you hear people say, eat seasonal, eat local. He goes, you're not supposed to have a tomato every day, right? So he's like, when you sit down and you look at the plate, <clears throat> that's really what it needs to kind of emulate. He goes, think of yourself as a farmer, a herder, whatever. And that will change what you put on your plate, 100%. And I was like, yeah, that's probably pretty valid. <laughs> <laughs> He's spot on. I say the same thing now. My my background, I'm native, so I'm Navajo. And so I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, we are not out there trying, you know how much energy it takes to go kill something in nature? I mean, it takes, it takes a lot. It took a couple people to, you know, try to get it going. I said, it's a, you know, people aren't doing that every day so that you can eat bacon, you know, three times a day or whatever, you know, it just, that's just not how, um, you're supposed to eat. So this is, 
This is fantastic. I love that you're sharing this. But again, it's all about balance. Like I don't, there was recently a a movie on uh, a documentary on Netflix, I think called like Game Changers. And it basically talks about being vegetarian. I don't know, 100% vegan, but you know, and with me, just like anything I read or watch, I never assume like, oh, this is like, this is it. And I'm going to live by this like 100%. I just, I take away from it and I go, you know what? Like, this is probably a pretty valid point. So like for myself, like we try in my family, like, okay, we should probably have fish once to twice a week. We should probably only have red meat once a week. We should try to eat vegetarian twice a week, right? Like, again, it's about finding a balance that you can repeat it. And for us, prepping food on the weekend is huge because I think that most people want to eat healthy, but they make bad decisions when they all of a sudden are hungry and they don't have something quick that is healthy to grab. And anything quick in today's world is garbage. Like it's just not good for you. Like if it could sit on the shelf for three weeks waiting for you to have that moment of, oh, darn, I forgot. Like it's probably not good for you, right? Like it's gonna survive, you know, like cockroaches and Twinkies are gonna survive a nuclear holocaust, like whatever. So so yeah, so it's, it's like all of our habits, right? It's about finding balance, whether it's food, whether it's working out, whether it's work, yeah. If you've seen me try to step on one foot, you know, balance is hard. So, you know, yeah. we do what we can. <laughs> now you had surgery in October and I so, did. and we are, what are we about? Almost a year out. It's, I mean, we're in August Almost. now. So we're 10, 10 months out and how are we feeling and where are we today? Good. We are, um, <laughs> we're officially at the part of the scale where we're starting to not pay attention to the scale. And what I mean by that is I've reached 180 from a weight perspective. However, I am very muscular. Um, I have gone to personal trainer um, and I have gone and, and stepped on one of those scales that does, you know, much more of understanding what is your muscle tone and your fat to, you know, whatever, all these different things. Um, and according to that scale, um, I was sitting at about 21% body fat. I was like, excuse me. Yeah. Um, if, you, if, if you Google the percentages, that means I'm lending into uh, athlete status. So even though I'm five, nine and one eighty, and a traditional BMR, BMI chart would tell you that I should be 145, 155. I don't know if that's realistic with the amount of muscle mass I have on my body. So ironically enough, it wasn't my doctor, my bariatric doctor that made me go, oh, it was the, it was going to the personal trainer and he goes, I'm done hearing you call yourself still fat. He goes, I will punch you in the throat. If I hear you call yourself fat again, he goes, it's time for you to go start meeting the plastic surgeons that you want. So for me, especially my midsection, that's one of my big concerns. Um, And I went to the plastic surgeons, you know, at the end of the day, I, there's a bunch of surgeries I could do. Um, yes, I have, you know, loose skin for my arms. It's not the end of the world. It's more that I know once I do my breast, because my breasts, they, they're facing south, girls. They, they're not pointing where they're supposed to. There are no amount of push-ups and or creams or anything else that's going to bring them back up. It's going to have to be surgery. But once I do that, if I don't do my arms, I will legitimately be into a size medium which is fine for tank tops and t-shirts, but like I have old like jackets and I can't wear the jacket because the sleeve 
I don't, my arm doesn't fit in the sleeve, right? So it's more about how clothes would fit a little less how it looks. Cause even though they kind of are droopy, they're not super droopy. Yeah. Um, the girls need all the help in the world. Um, but my midsection, um, was the one that really kind of messed with my mind. And when I went to the plastic surgeons and they basically start feeling me up and they're grabbing all my body parts, they're like, no, this is skin. This is skin. This is skin. They're like, yes, you have probably about a pound to two pounds within this general region of fat that needs to be lost. They're going, but we literally are about to cut it out. So what's the point, right? They were more concerned with the flanks of my body. And they're like, you've lost all the weight when we pull it in. So I, you know, you don't realize, especially when you're in your mid forties, girls, there's not enough collagen in the world to make that stuff shrink, right? It's not coming back in on its own, but in our minds, it's fat, but we don't really acknowledge just how thick the skin is and just how much it has stretched over all this time. So for me, psychologically, it's in my mind, I feel like I haven't finished my weight loss journey because even though I can wear for all intents and purpose, Lycra, like late, whatever you call these, like tight shorts, right? Yeah. My legs look great. I just took, I just went and took my nephews to a flip factory and some 20 year old boy walks up to me and goes, dang, you've got great calves. You work out like, so for a 20 year old boy, to call out my calves, I know I'm doing something right. But then as soon as you hit my midsection, it's Michelin tire, right? So it is just messing with my mind. And I want, you know, I've gone to now three different plastic surgeons to basically interview. And it it is a little bit of a struggle because you go in and you see these Barbie doll people. And I'm like, I don't want that. I said, I want that when I walk into a room, people look at me and say, she worked for that body, not paid for that body, right? Like it's just a different mindset. And for those people who want that look, that's great. That's their jam. That's fine. That's not my jam. I want to be the athlete person, right? So for me, when I think of all the surgeries, the stomach is the one that is probably mentally messing with me the most Mm -hmm. that is keeping me from feeling like I did it. Even though I've lost over a hundred pounds, even though I'm getting compliments from strangers when I'm riding my bike about my calf muscles, like I know I'm there. I've done it from a weight loss perspective and I've begun the journey because I tell people losing the weight's the easy part, folks. Yeah. It's taking the time during, especially those first two years after surgery to build the new habits and the new lifestyle to keep it off for the next 40 years, right? Like that's when the real work starts. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Like I'm trying to get to a mental space of not feeling in my mind, I'm still the fat girl, right? Because it was beat into me for so long. Decades, for decades. Ever that I need to, you know, So that's where I'm at. I'm in that. I know I'm doing all of the things you're supposed to do Monday through Sunday, right? Um, Between, like I told you, I said, I, I, I always kind of give credit to three things in my life when it comes to organizing my, my world. One was a book I read called why we sleep. Um, I have prioritized my sleep. I tell my friends that even regardless if they're someone who's thinking of doing gastric sleeve, they're just dieting or whatever. I said, listen, over the last hundred years of dieting, 
there's one thing, there's two things that every diet agrees with, sleep and hydration. I don't care what diet you're on, right? So I read that book. I've really changed my lifestyle around my sleep patterns and really prioritizing sleep. I've prioritized hydration. Um, I use a planner called the Full Focus Planner that just really helps me plan both my personal goals from physical goals, food goals, um, you know, financial stability goals, like education, whatever it may be, and work, right? A balance of all of that. And then using the um, Atomic Habits book and just that idea of building those habits and really doing that. And to me, it's making that happen to give me success after. The fact that I'm doing triathlons and that's my jam from a physical thing, you know, everybody, like I said, they can find their thing, like join a pickleball league. I don't care, whatever, like, you know, so that to me is probably the most important is building those good habits and making it sustainable going forward. Got you. Well, I have another question and, you know, going back to, you know, when you were going through your cancer treatments and even now, cause you kind of mentioned um, getting through the mentality of always being, you know, what you've been told for so long. Let's talk mental health. Are you, is that important? Have you been through treatment in that way? Is there anything guided? No, um, I've only, they did give me, a, it was funny because uh, literally just last night, something happened that made me remember uh, this memory. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law and I were watching, um, an old movie called The Net with Sandra Bullock in it. If anybody, there's there's a time warp, right? And there was a scene where her and a gentleman were laying together, like on a in the boat together after an intimate moment. And my sister with her husband makes the joke that there's no beach towel big enough to cover both of their bodies. And I laughed about it because I said, oh, that reminds me of when I had cancer. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, when I had cancer, they gave me one of these psychiatrists and they wanted me to like close my eyes and think of the cancer. And like, I had Martians inside of me. I don't know, it was some crazy, like mental, whatever thing. But at the time she said to me, oh, uh, I want you to think of you and your boyfriend laying on a couch together and me, I am dying of cancer. And the first thing that comes into my mind when a psychiatrist tells me this, like, oh no, my boyfriend and I don't fit on a couch together. We're both too, <laughs> you know, like that, it, it, you don't realize that it is beat. Like I am a deaf's doorstep, yet here I am joking and making fun of my weight as this kind of, because I am pretty sure that a lot of the people that would watch this video, lots of us chubby folks love using humor to squash the mental, you know, what it's doing to our insides. So, but I've never, and you know, being raised in my family, I've never sat with a professional um, to kind of mentally like unbaggage it. I mean, like I said, my, my now wife goes, oh, wow, I realize all your self, low self-esteem comes from your mother. I was like, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> um, so it, it is something that, now do I feel mentally better regardless of having professional help, a hundred percent. I think a lot of it has to do with my sleep, uh, which I used to have sleep apnea and now post-surgery, I no longer have sleep apnea. 
Um, yes. So, but reading, um, reading that book and understanding kind of circadian rhythms and sleep cycles, I realized that my whole life I was waking up before I ever hit REM sleep. So I, for the first time, I'm actually dreaming, right? So I think um, really uh, nailing down my sleep and having good quality sleep has helped me mentally. I feel um, at work, I can be much more focused. Um, ironically, you know, you always hear these super workout people, right? And I'm using air quotes. I know you guys can't see my air quotes that talk they're like, yeah, man, I feel so much better after I work out and I just clear. And then all of us who like to sit on a couch and hit next on Netflix are like, oh my God, you're one of those people. Okay, I hate to admit it, they're right. And it's really annoying, but it is true. So it's like, and again, but you've got to find your jam, right? I think that me forcing myself, even if it's 30 minutes of torturesome fake running or riding my bike or going for a swim or doing a workout, I genuinely mentally feel better, right? Like it's, it's not just calories melting away. It's like mental garbage, like just melting away as you do it. And it's not like, you know, you don't have to go for a two hour bike ride necessarily, right? It's just, and I think it's funny, right? When you think about like your Apple watch, it tells you what you did every day. Do you get credit for being a weekend warrior? Kind of, but even your Apple watch is telling you, no, no, no every day you need to do a little something right it's balance is a booger man i mean it's a daily challenge just to, to make it happen but it's true it I, hate it other, I hate when other people are right prove me wrong <laughs> darn it darn all right well one last question because you brought her up your wife i know through this journey we always have to have our support system and so what would you say um people should or should not expect from their partners or what, what could the partners be doing to kind of help them through their process? Um, actually, I feel very fortunate. Um, my, uh, my wife has been supportive from the beginning. Um, I, I used to be on some Facebook groups and chats and I saw that a lot of people were struggling where it would be post-surgery and, you know, their husband's like, I'm going to order pizza or whatever. Right. And I was just like, oh my gosh, evil people. Um, so I was very fortunate. Um, I would say the hardest part is obviously before the surgery and right after surgery, when what you're allowed to eat is very minimal. Um, and for me, I was lucky that, you know, my wife was, I mean, she also, she, I mean, she nowhere near is on the struggle bus of the amount of weight that I had to lose. But as every woman out there, you know, she's in her last 20, 30 pounds, which is always the hardest part of any weight loss. Like the closer you get to the goal weight, the harder it is. So she was doing her own thing. Um, but at the same time, knowing that what she was doing is eventually where I was going to land. So we actually kind of worked together um, working out, like I said, food plans and whatnot. It's just that she was actually able to eat food and I wasn't during that hard kind of time period, but I was lucky, right? There wasn't pizza being ordered into the house. There wasn't, Hey, which granted we never have eaten like Mac, you know, any kind of fast food or anything like that in the last, I don't know how many years, but I think just being supportive of, especially, you know, the stuff that smells good, right? Don't, 
don't be the person who goes and makes a bagel in the morning when the other person over there is drinking chicken broth. Like that's just rude, right? So, cause you know, like we know having a bagel for breakfast every morning is a bad idea, but oh man, does a bagel smell good, right? Like don't do that. Don't bring pizza into the house cause it smells good. Like anything scratch and sniff, just keep it out of the house. Like it's just, and I think that's, you know, like I see people who like they have kids. Oh, struggle bus. Like I, props to you. Like for me, it's easy because I could purge the house. I mean, I am still, yes, at 180 pounds successfully weight loss, doing a triathlon. I don't care. The week before my period, I will open the refrigerator and imagine a piece of chocolate cake in there and I will close it. I'll go back to my working desk and I will go back and I will look for it again. But fortunately for me, it's not there, right? Like, so the fact that we were able to uniformly purge the house was a huge benefit. So partner or children, put it in a safe. If you have to have like Doritos in the house because we've decided that's a food group for children because they won't eat anything else. I don't know, put it in a safe. I don't know how you do it because I was very lucky. (laughs) Like (laughs) purge, purge, purge. There was like at the point where you're just like, dang it, I want a snack. Fine, I'm having grapes. Like you eventually just give in to the healthy stuff because that's all I have. Like it is what it is. So um, I think being able to purge, I think the fact that, you know, we were also lucky. I know this is crazy, but people don't think about it. When I was at my doctor's office, there was a woman there who was post her surgery. And I asked her, what was the hardest part? She said, the depression. I was like, what? I was so thrown off by that answer. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I just didn't realize how much my life was social and not being able to go out to the restaurants and this and that, whatever. And it really messed with her. And I was like, dude, COVID, none of us are going out, right? So I had a, we, as a society, had already kind of gone through that whole depression of like, oh my God, where are the people? So we weren't going out, right? I didn't have that extra stress of a spouse saying, so what are we doing this Friday night? Are we going to the bar, right? So that was, you don't realize that not being put in those situations, how much that means. Now, the partner also has to realize it doesn't mean it's never coming back. I mean, I'm not the poster child for perfect. I still have ice cream. I still have pizza. I still have beer. I still have all those things. I just have it like once a month and I only have one slice of pizza now, you know, like, so it's not like it can't happen again, but that first, especially six months, but that first year is super critical. And that spouse needs to realize it's not, and let's be honest, most most of us are in situations where the other spouse probably needs to learn some of your new habits as well, and that they would benefit from it, whether they want to admit it or not. But they could probably do with going out less. They could probably do without having pizza every Friday night, right? So good luck convincing them that, but whatever. <laughs> I didn't have to do that. So I was very, I was very, very lucky that, and now we food plan for the week and we eat the same stuff, right? So it's just that I eat less. Like we joke that I've cut our food bill in half, right? So it's, I don't know. I got lucky folks, I'm not gonna lie, really lucky. Purge the house, don't go out, (laughs) hopefully eat the same food. You just eat less of it, that's all, I don't know. (laughs)
All right. Well, I've got my last two questions for you. These are my favorite. So one is, what is your favorite motto? Mm. Man, I only got to pick one. Literally have a planner that gives me a quote of the day. <laughs> uh, do not allow perfection to prevent progress. Yes, I love that one. I love, love, love that one. And that's so applicable to the journeys that we're all on. So awesome, awesome. You're going to screw up once in a while. It's about how you get back up on the horse and keep on going. That's right. That is right. All right. Well, the last question is, since you're a triathlete and you're out there, I know you listen to some good music. What's, what are we listening to when we're working out with you? Oh, <laughs> I have an interesting hodgepodge right now that will is a mix of from like blinding lights to pitbull to dance music that was being played when i was in college so it's literally like my life in a blender <laughs> love it man we need so. to catch up sometime off off air like i think <laughs> we could have some fun here but uh, I will tell you, man, Rebecca, no joke. We do need a part two. This was fantastic. This was more than I could have ever imagined. And I appreciate you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom and humor and all that is you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I just, I hope it helps someone, um, you know, that's out there struggling to decide whether this is for them or not for them. And, you know, know that they're not alone out there and there's resources and people to go reach out to. And, you know, Desi's an amazing resource. And, you know, just uh, know that you just need to find your path in your journey. And, you know, whatever, whatever you decide and you'll make it work. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what you thought of this episode and any ideas you'd like to hear more about. Keep in touch through social via Facebook or Instagram at Coach Desi and subscribe to my newsletter at CoachDesi.com. Remember, your journey is still being written. <laughs>